Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. that term team uh, pretty loosely. We didn't have much of a team. Uh, there were no tryouts for the team. So, um, and there, there just weren't enough people for that, right? So if you wanted to play, you were in, basically. Um, I had never played rugby before. In fact, I'd never even seen a rugby game before, um, ever in my life. But somehow they thought that the best thing for me would be to start at the most important position on the field. That's what they thought. They said, this guy with no experience, let's put him at the most important uh, position on the field. And, and so my position was called the standoff. That's just the name of it. Um, it's basically like the quarterback of rugby. So if you're not familiar, in uh, rugby, they have these things called scrums. And basically what it is, it's like this pile of guys just trying to fight for the ball. And as that's happening, what my job was as the standoff was to call the plays. Um, in rugby, if you don't know about it, everything kind of happens live. It's not like football where you have, like, you discuss the play in a huddle and then you go out and execute it. Everything happens live. And so you, you just yell the play to your teammates down the line. And it doesn't really matter if the other team hears it, right? They shouldn't really know what you're going to do. So that's what I would do. I would, I would yell the team to, uh, I would yell the play to our team. And, and when the ball came out of the scrum, the, the ball would get passed to, to me. And we would run whatever play was called. That was what was supposed to happen. Now, I remember um, playing, we, we played one game against a particular high school. And this high school, they also had a football team. So they had a rugby team and a football team. You can kind of see how those two skills will go a little bit together. Our school did not have a football team. So it was our school of like just a bunch of ragtag kids who knew nothing about rugby. Uh, and we played against a bunch of football players who probably had been playing for many years. And so needless to say, it didn't go very well for us. Um, I remember being on the field and calling plays. And so one of, the, one of our plays was called Scissors doesn't really matter why it was called that. Basically, there was like two guys that like crossed each other's paths like, paths like scissors. It doesn't matter. Um, but we had this play called scissors. So the scrum would happen, right? All the, this big pile of guys. The, the ball came out. And as that, that's happening, I'm yelling to our team to play. I'm saying, scissors, scissors, right? Like everyone, scissors. This is the play that we're running. And as I'm yelling, the guy in front of me from the other team, he starts yelling the same thing. He starts saying, scissors, scissors. And then the rest of their team is saying, scissors, scissors. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we're running. That's the play that we're running. And then I quickly realize they know exactly what scissors means. They, they know exactly what we're going to do in this, in this play. And so we are doomed, right? Um, and so the ball comes out of the scrum. It gets passed to me, and I just get lit up, completely lit up. Um, and that was pretty much over and over for the, the rest of the game, was me calling a play, 
and them saying, we know what play you're going to run. And them just completely demolishing us over and over for the entire game. Um, they were bigger than us. They were stronger than us. They knew exactly what we were going to do every single play. We didn't score at all that game. Um, and we got completely demolished. And the reason was, is because we didn't come prepared. Right? We weren't ready to face who we did. And yet on the other side of it, the other team came very prepared. And it resulted in their victory. Today, we're talking about being prepared for the return of Jesus. What does it look like to prepare for his return? I want to ask us here today, are you truly ready for Christ's return? And how do you know if you're ready or not? How do you know if you're ready for Christ to return? It's a little bit about what we're talking about today. If you were here for, uh, uh, with us last week, uh, David preached for us on Matthew 24. Similar to today, uh, the main point that we saw last week from the text was that we need to be ready for the return of Christ. And today, um, as Melody just read for us, we have three sections that talk about preparing for the return of Christ. In each section, there are two groups of people. Okay? Two groups of people. and So there are people, um, a people that are prepared, and there are people that are not prepared. And so, again, we're going to explore what it means to be prepared for Christ to return. What we're going to see is that there's a reward for being prepared. But also what we're going to see is that there are consequences for not being prepared. So let's get into it. First thing I want us to see is that we need to prepare to endure till the end. Prepare to endure till the end. Let's take a look at our first section here. So to begin, Jesus tells this parable of the virgins and the lamps. So to understand this section a little bit better, it's helpful if we know a little bit about village weddings in Jesus' day. Okay? So in that day, on a wedding, the couple, uh, bride and groom, they would begin their day at the bride's home or at her parents' home. And there you would have some like smaller greetings or festivities um, with like really close family. And then once that was finished, everyone would then leave and there would basically be a procession through the streets leading back to the groom's home. And during this procession is when many of the guests would join in and so they would sing and they would dance through the streets till they arrived at the groom's home. Side note, when we were, um, we've been to, uh, on missions trips to, um, to North Africa. And in one of them, um, they had just had a well built for, for them by the guy that we know out there. He does a lot of uh, water towers and wells. So they had just had this. We, this was the first time that we had visited since this well was made. And so um, we came and I remember uh, they like paraded us through the, the village and there was like a lot of drums and, and singing and dancing and stuff. And, um, and they were like, wow, this is a very warm welcome. And they're like, they don't do this except for weddings. And so that's kind of the picture here, right? This is, there's a parade that goes through um, these villages and there's people singing and dancing as they go. And they're, they're going on the way to arrive at uh, the, group, the groom's home. At the groom's home, what would happen is there would be a, a bigger festivity. There would be the ceremony there and uh, there would be a feast. Depending on how much money you had or your family had, the party could last 
at least a day, or it could last up to many days. And so you have this big festival of everyone kind of coming together and celebrating this wedding. So what we have in this parable, um, it says you have, it says we have 10 virgins, just for a little bit of clarification, when it says virgins, it's speaking about bridesmaids. So just so that makes a little bit more sense to us. So you have 10 bridesmaids here. And while the groom is at the bride's house, these bridesmaids are waiting somewhere along the way for the groom to come um, where they can join in the parade to the party. It says half of them have brought oil for their lamps. Um, They're referred to as the wise. And the other half, they did not bring any oil. So then they're referred to as the foolish. What happens, though, there's a problem in this story. What happens, though, is that the groom is delayed, right? Why is he delayed? We're not sure. He's apparently at the bride's home. He can't leave. He probably has a very chatty mother-in-law, you know? Who knows? We don't know why he can't come. But it says that he doesn't come until midnight. And at that point, the bridesmaids, they've fallen asleep. But what happens is the call uh, goes out. There's a call in the streets that says, hey, the groom is coming. And they realize that they have used up most of their oil. And so they ask the wise bridesmaids for more oil. They say, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And it says, but the wise answered saying, there will not be enough for us or for, and for you. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And so the foolish bridesmaids, they go out, they buy more oil, but by the time they get back to the party, it has already begun and they are locked out. Last week, we, we learned that the day of the Lord could come at any moment. It says it could come like a thief in the middle of the night. So be alert, be ready for Christ to come. So we should expect Jesus to come at any moment. Today, in addition to that, what we're also seeing is that we should expect to be ready to endure for a while. Christ may come at any day, and we ought to be prepared for that. At the same time, we ought to be prepared to wait. Be prepared to endure for a long time. That's what we're seeing here. The problem with the foolish bridesmaids was that they weren't ready to endure for a long time. The, brides, uh, the, the, the wise bridesmaids, they brought oil, right? They, they brought enough to last even when the groom was delayed. They were prepared to wait. But the foolish, they said, we'll be good, right? We can, we can make it for a little bit. It's not going to be long. And they were wrong. They were not ready for a long wait. They weren't prepared to endure. There's a parable earlier in Matthew that Jesus tells. It's called the the parable of the sower. And it talks about a sower who sows seeds on four types of soil. You might be familiar with it. Um, we, We spoke on it a few months ago as we went through our series in Matthew. And what we see is is that in uh, two of those four types of soil are seeds that grow for a little bit, but they don't end up lasting. Two of the seeds, they grow for a bit, and they do not endure. Let me read uh, a little bit for us. This is from Matthew 13. It says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet 
he has no root in himself. It says, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And then it says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So we see here, one grows for a bit, but does not last when trials come. The other grows for a bit, and it does not last when pleasures come. There are many people that get excited about Christianity for a period of time in their lives. They like to hear a message. They like the music. They, they, they like things about Christianity, but when the newness of things fades, they're not so enamored anymore. It's possible to seem to catch fire for a bit, but not truly be able to last. And we see that it is important not to take the call of, Christ, uh, of being a Christian lightly. What makes the, the bridesmaids foolish here is that they're presumptuous, right? They presume that they're okay. They presume that they can have some of the oil from the wise. They also presume that they'll be let into the party when they finally show up. But by that time, it is too late. There's a pastor in the state named Ligon Duncan, and he says this. He says, none of us, none of us may presume to be prepared. All of us must be watchful of our hearts. We must examine ourselves to see if we are trusting in him, lest we unprepared travel on. Are you prepared to, to be in this for the long haul? Come trials in the face of the pleasures of the world? We cannot presume that we'll be let in. We, but prepare to endure till the end. And this might sound like a lot of work, right? Maybe you're thinking, I just got to keep trying and trying and trying over and over until I can finally make it to the end. That's not what I'm saying here. The good news is that when you put your faith in Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which keeps us till he returns. Ephesians 1, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we are kept by the Holy Spirit, and yet we are called not to be presumptuous, but to endure till the end faithfully. The second parable that Jesus tells is about a man who lends money to his servants. Okay, so it tells us that the master in this story, he gives one servant five talents, he gives another servant two talents, and another he gives one talent. It says that the servants are given according, according to their ability. So some are given more, and others are given a little bit less. What's important to, to note, though, is that all of them are given a significant amount of money. Um, I read a few different conflicting views on, on how much money a talent is worth. Um, however, even on the conservative side of the spectrum, it said that a talent would be worth at least several hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Others, uh, others I read say that a talent could be worth millions of dollars in today's currency. Either, what, either way, what we see is that the servants are entrusted with a significant amount of money. 
What we're told is that the master, he goes away for a, a long time and he comes back to collect what is his. So the two servants who had received the larger amounts, they double what had been given to them. On the other, on the other hand, though, the servant who received one talent, he simply just hid it in the ground. He doesn't invest it. He doesn't do anything with it. It literally just sits in the ground doing nothing. And so when the master settles with the servants, we see that he is pleased with the ones who, um, who are faithful and they are entrusted with more. But the one who is unfaithful is confronted. He loses the talent he had in the first place and it says that he is cast out into the, the darkness. So what's going on here? Again, this parable contains two types of people, those who are faithful stewards and those who are unfaithful stewards. Those who take what they have been given from the master and they use it wisely, and those who have been given much but are foolish and don't do anything with it. What we need to see is that as we wait for Jesus, he has called us to be faithful stewards. To prepare for Jesus by being a faithful steward. What I'll say with this as well is um, this, this doesn't have to do with doubling your riches here on earth, right? That's not what this is talking about. Um, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and, and uh, where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is it to be a faithful steward? It is taking what God has given you and investing it in what matters. And I can think of no better investment than the kingdom of God. That's something that will never fail. And invest in the things of God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In this church, we have a group of guys who are investing their time in helping one another fight against lust and pornography. That is worth investing in. Some of the deacons recently organized a night of prayer and called many of you for prayer requests. That is a great investment. Use your God-given gifts to invest in the church. I had a wonderful meeting this week with two ladies from the church who have been here for uh, less than a few months combined. Couple, one of us has been for three weeks now. Um, and they both saw a need in the church and they asked if they can use their gifts to serve in the church. That is a great investment. We have another guy in this church who has been here for mere months and he approached me the other day and he said, I'm interested in helping set up the church on Sunday mornings. I said, that's great, thank you. How many weeks would you be able to do? He said, all of them. That is a great investment. We have a couple in the church that are engaged to be married and have sought out biblical premarital counseling so that they can love God and one another well within their marriage when that day comes. That is a great investment. We have a group of people in this church who are sacrificing their time to study sound theology and learn how they can use what God has given them to become better worship leaders, deacons, disciple makers, teachers, and so on. That is worth investing in. We have a group of ladies who are meeting every couple of weeks to study through the book of Genesis together, to dig into scripture. That is a valuable investment. And we have a family that we are sadly saying goodbye to today who have spent the 
the last six years investing in relationships here, loving the people of this church, generously giving of themselves, and are now taking their gifts and resources that God has given them and investing them in another church plant. Five, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I practice this and this is tough. <laughs> They're investing in another church plant five hours from here with another church family and that is worth investing in. It's sad and happy. Um, so what are you investing in? Are you using this time while you wait for Jesus to be a good steward? Are you investing in things that are eternal? Take what has been given to you, your time, your money, your resources, your gifts, and invest them in what is worthwhile. Pour into the needs of the church. Invest in sound theology, teaching skills. Learn an instrument to help with worship. See the needs around you and say, that is something that I can do while I wait here for Jesus. We see that. For those who invest wisely, there is a great reward from God. God commends those who are faithful. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. God gives greater responsibility to those who are faithful. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And God bestows eternal joy to those who are faithful. Enter into the joy of your master. Live to enter the joy of God the Father. His joy is in his perfect son and those who put their faith in him. Prepare for Jesus by being a faithful steward. In this last section of the chapter, Jesus moves from, from speaking in parables to telling the crowd what it will be like when, G, when, when Christ returns. I'm going to read a little bit for us. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. It says, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So Christ will return and separate the sheep from the goats. Two groups of people again. Sheep are those who have followed Jesus and goats are those who did not. And so what distinguishes a sheep from a goat? Let's read a little bit of what it says. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? Or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me Jesus says those who have fed me welcomed me clothed me visited visited while sick or in prison these are sheep these are true followers of God and it says if you care for 
the church in need, then you care for Jesus. Right? He equates those, th those things as the same thing. Caring for brothers and sisters in the church is the same as caring for Jesus. So prepare for Jesus by caring for his church. David Platt says this about this passage. He says, It would be wrong to think Jesus' close identification with his followers means that we should not help people who aren't Christians. Right? That would be wrong. Throughout scripture, he says, we're encouraged to love and serve non-Christians. Jesus has even told us to love our enemies. However, that's not the specific point of this passage. This passage calls us to examine whether we are serving Christians in need whom God has put around us. And let us honestly answer that today. Again, let us not presume the grace of God if we are not doing these things. The sign of someone who has had their life, their life changed by Jesus is that they love the things that Jesus loves. And despite how messy she is, Jesus loves the church. Therefore, if you are one of his sheep, he has changed your heart to love the church. Let us act in love when we see the church in need. For when we love the church, we are showing that we have the same love inside of us as Jesus does. This church has regular ongoing needs to help provide for believers in this church who are in need. We have three deacons that oversee much of the congregational care in this church. And so if God is putting it on your heart to care for those in need, um, they would be great people to, to talk to about that. Go talk to, to Juan or to Stephen or to Dwayne, and they would love to help share with you how you can provide for people who are in need in this church. Last thing I want us to see today is this. So throughout this text, in each one of these sections, what we've seen are two groups of people. We see um, wise and foolish bridesmaids. We see faithful and unfaithful stewards, goats and sheep. We see those who are prepared for the return of Christ and those who are not. What we also see in this section, in these sections, are two possible outcomes. In each section, there is a destination for the prepared and another destination for the unprepared. The prepared enter into the marriage feast, verse 10. The prepared enter into the joy of the master, verse 23. And the prepared enter into eternal life, verse 46. On the other hand, the unprepared are shut out of the marriage feast. They are cast out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and they go away into eternal punishment. What does all this mean? There are great rewards for being prepared and great consequences for being unprepared. And you do not want to be unprepared when Christ returns. So how do I make sure I am prepared? How do we make sure that we are prepared for the return of Jesus? Trust in Jesus. We've all failed in every single one of these areas. We've all tried to endure on our own, by our own strength, and we've all failed. We have all been unfaithful stewards with what God has given us. We've all neglected to care for those in need, of the, in need in the church. All of us have, except for Jesus. Jesus endured 
by the power of the Spirit. He gave everything as a faithful steward, including his life. And he did so providing for the biggest need in the church, the salvation and forgiveness of her sins. And so how do we make sure that we are prepared? By putting our faith in Jesus. When you do, you will endure. You will endure by the power of the Holy Spirit. Put your faith in, in Jesus and be faithful with what he's entrusted to you. Put your faith in Jesus and care for the needs of the church. Are you prepared for Christ to return today? Let us be faithful stewards caring for the church while we endure till the end. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, where we have failed, you have not. Um, pray that we would be faithful with everything that you have entrusted in us, entrusted to us. Would you help us to, to use our gifts to, to love and to, to serve this church? Um, would we be wise with, with all that you've given us? Would we be prepared to endure to the end? Would it not just be a quick flash and a, uh, a decision that we make on the whim and have it hold no weight? God, would the decision to follow you be the weightiest thing that we consider every single day? God, will we continue to put our faith in you Will we do that by providing for the needs of believers in this church? We know that that's what you care for. So would you align our hearts with your heart? God, we love you. Praise in your name. Amen. Um, before we get into worship, I want to take a, a little bit of time, and we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. Um, so what we see uh, in, in the picture of communion is the covenant relationship with God, our covenant relationship with God. It is Jesus' body broken and, and spilled, and his blood split, spilled, I can't speak, I'm sorry. It is Jesus' body broken and his blood spilled out for you. God went through death on your behalf. Jesus faced the wrath of the Father so that you and I did not have to. Um, if you're not a Christian, this is what the God of the Bible offers. This is the offer for you today. There's a covenant, and these are the terms of the covenant. God promises to forgive your sins and enter into a relationship with you for eternity. And in return, in turn, you put your faith in Jesus, and it will be counted to you as righteousness. Jesus' righteousness will be accredited to you when you put your faith in him. If you are ready to make that commitment today, we would love to have that conversation with you. You can come talk to myself after or one of the other elders or members. If you're not ready to, to make that decision today, we just say, it's this, just ask for you to observe this time. Um, taking communion is not something that saves us or anything like that. There's nothing magical that happens when we do it. In fact, as we talked about today, being a Christian is something that is a very weighty decision that we decide to do for the rest of our lives. It's not a whim to say, I'm going to go take communion or I'm just going to do it for now. It is not a flash in the pan. We see it as a weighty decision to follow for the rest of our lives. But for those who have put their faith in Jesus, this is a significant reminder of 
what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so in a minute, what I want us to do is you can get up and as you feel led, um, take uh, communion. So on, on both sides here, we have uh, some juice and we have some bread. What we can do is when you're ready, come and just take that back to your seat. And we're going to take that all together um, when, when we're all settled here. Um, so as you feel led, um, go ahead and, and take some uh, the, the bread and the juice. Take it back to your seat and we'll take it together. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 